Hi, this is James Clary from the Clarification Podcast. We really appreciate you sharing and watching our videos. If you feel so inclined, we could really use your help. You know, we spend hours and sometimes days researching these topics. And as much as we love it, we could really use your support. If you're on Spotify, go to our channel and there's a link where you can donate. Or if you're inclined, go to our website, which is clarification, that's C-L-A-R-Y, vacation.com, and there's a one-time donation button for PayPal. We really appreciate your support. And now, our feature presentation. Hey everybody, it's the Clarification Podcast. I'm your host, James Clary, along with my partner in crime, Russell West. How are you, Russell? Just fine, just fine. Wonderful. We are so excited to have today's guest, Nancy Armstrong, who is a producer and actress who's made several films. If you know someone in your life who gets distracted easily, who is hyperactive uh who is impulsive you really want to watch and listen to this podcast because nancy's latest film is called the disruptors and it's about hdhd which stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder welcome nancy how are you i'm well thanks for having me on thanks for being here i'd love to just dive in nancy what what got you interested? Your your personal story is fascinating. I know our uh, viewers and listeners want to hear what got you interested in in this topic and eventually led you to make the film. Well, I made the film because of my own struggle of raising three children with ADHD. And that was starting with my firstborn son, who definitely we could tell there was something going on pretty early on. Uh, we were kicked out of mommy and me class when he was about 15 months old. Wow. All the kids were sitting very nicely in their mother's laps in a circle. And my son started running around the circle and hitting the boom box, which was playing the music. And, you know, the woman running the class just said, I don't think this is going to work out. So can, you know, can you guys leave? <laughs> so <laughs> we, we left and, uh, you know, first time mother, I was just crying all the way home and sure. Jack was very empathetic, even as a toddler was crying all the way home. And that was kind of the beginning of us, you know, thinking there's something's going on here, but for so long, we couldn't figure out what it was. And they told us it was uh, sensory integration disorder. So he had all these sensory issues with clothing, with food. Um, and so they diagnosed him with that. And we went through occupational therapy. I mean, we went to this place locally where there's tons of moms in the waiting room and all these kids with sensory integration issues, which I had never heard of. Um, so then things went on like that for a while, no one ever mentioning ADHD. And then finally, when things were just kind of bottoming out when he was eight years old in school and at home, um, he went to a therapist who said, I'd like you to have him tested. And I said, oh, you know, we already think, we already know he has a uh, sensory integration disorder. And he said, yeah, just have him tested. So he went through a bunch of tests with a local diagnostician who then pulled us into, into the office and said, he has ADHD and he has it big time. And he started rattling off all the symptoms of ADHD. And my husband sitting next to me, who at the time was, I think he was, you know, 
either he was either at Google or he was running um, America Online, just kind of shrinking down in his seat and his hands going up. (laughs) And I just looked at him like, what now? And he said, I have all those symptoms. And the diagnostician said, well, you have ADHD also. It's hereditary. So it was this really profound moment in this office where we were just stunned. We just sat there in stunned silence. And, you know, that was kind of the beginning of our journey. And at least we knew what was going on. It was such a relief to know what we were dealing with. And we could get some real help for him. What year was that, Nancy? How old was Jack at that time? So Jack was eight. And so that must have been 2012, right? 2012. I'm sorry, I haven't done the math. Or maybe 2000. He's 20. So that was 12 uh, 12 years ago. So what year was that? 2010? Yeah. Yeah. 2009. 2009. So it was right when my husband went to work, went to run AOL. It was right around that time. Wow. And your husband, that just, it just strikes home with me. I, I mean, Drew had the same hyperactive. Uh, my oldest son had the same hyperactivity issues, but I, I tell the story. I remember one time he came home trying to get him to do his homework and it literally took 45 minutes of me standing over him for him to just get the books out of the backpack. And I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? You know, I thought I was a bad parent. You know, do we need to discipline him more? And I would try to be the hard ass, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I'd be the soft kind. And I just, my God, you're right. That diagnosis can be so freeing. So what, what, how did you continue with Jack and his treatment from that point? And, And what changes did you see? Well, first of all, we started with therapy, we kept going with therapy and um, an executive functioning coach. So we, we did everything we, you know, every tool available to us in the toolbox of things you can do yeah. uh, to mitigate the uh, symptoms of ADHD we did. And of course, one of those is medication. And it, you know, this is 12 years ago. So no one in the, in the, no one in the family thought that was a good idea. Of course. And, yeah. and I, I, I just wanted to know what was on the other side of that. He was struggling so mightily and between the the pediatrician the psychologist and the diagnostician they all said it's too much it's too much and he's these are his formative years and so he can't take much more of these he's getting a lot so much negative feedback and that that then defines your personality you you're living a life where you can't get anything right you can't do anything right your parents are upset with you. Your siblings are upset with you. Your teachers are upset with you. Imagine living like that when you're eight years old. Ugh. It's too much. So I just said, I'm going to try it and we'll just see. So we tried it and it was, it was actually pretty dramatic. Um, we tried um, a stimulant medication and I just said to him, just try it, see how it goes. You know, you don't just, if it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We'll just, it might help you focus a little better in school. And sure enough, it actually really did help him. And whereas every day he would run out of school crying every day onto the playground where all the parents meet their children, he would always come out crying because he got a warning. There's like a, uh. a system in, in the third grade class where you get a warning if you, you know, if you stand up, if you speak, if you do all these things, all these, you know, sort of self-regulation issues that kids with ADHD have. So he was, you know, getting hammered every single day with warnings. And when he the first day he took the medication, he came running out of the school and said, Mom, I don't have to, I, I know how to behave. I'm not going to get warnings anymore. Oh, he was so man. thrilled. 
And it was heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning. And, and so I said, well, if he wants to take it, he did want to take it. Because yeah. he felt like it was helpful. And so, you know, that's what we did. I think it's, but it's tricky because that's yeah. a tricky journey. Absolutely. But I think it's important to point out, you know, my my sister and her husband are, are uh, both work for pharma, uh, both psychiatrists, but they've gone on into business. And, and my brother-in-law was responsible for the main studies first done on Xanax. And as he explained it with Xanax, somebody with panic disorder, Xan- if I take a Xanax, I'm feeling ooh woozy and drowsy. Someone with panic disorder, Xanax makes them feel normal, and it's the same with ADHD. If if a normal sure. person takes this stimulant, it's like speed. But a person with ADHD, mm-hmm. it makes them feel normal, right? Yeah, it does. Well, it, it calms them down. That's kind of a test. If you are a person with ADHD and you take stimulant medication, it doesn't give you a high. It just calms you down. It gives you an ability to focus. It helps with self-regulation, which is all super helpful in a school environment. I mean, this is particularly for children who the school environment is not built for people with ADHD Uh, or for kids with ADHD. So it's all about organization. It's all about emotional control. It's all about, um, you know, all these things that are really so difficult because their executive functioning system is not wired up their reward system in the same way as a neurotypical child. So they have these incredible struggles that are neurological. And I don't know why, but it's so hard for society to grasp that ADHD is neurological. And that's really where we are in in our struggle to understand it, is this deep disconnection between what society thinks about ADHD and what we know from decades, uh, decades of research and hundreds if not thousands of studies. We know it's neurological. We know what part of the brain it affects. We know it's hereditary. And we know that while there are challenges associated with ADHD that you need to manage in order to have a successful life, there are also some pretty impressive strengths. And if you can find a path in life to accelerate and activate those strengths, it can be a big asset. And that's something we really wanted to explore in the film. Well, you said your husband ran AOL. Did I hear that right? <laughs> and he's got he was one of the Yeah. He was one of the early uh, Googlers. So he wow. was one of the early people at Google. And then from there, and from there, he went to AOL when AOL was in free fall. It was the Titanic that had yeah. already hit the iceberg. Right. And they said, you know, Jeff Bukas from Time Warner said, do you want to run it? And Tim said, maybe. <laughs> and then he came home and said, he said, came home and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, do you have a plan? Can you turn it around? Because if you can't, you know, you have to, I hope you have a plan. And he said, I do. I do have a plan. And he was talking about content. And he was, you know, sort of way ahead of the, the whole content space. And he was saying, it's going to be all about content. And, you know, the press and people were like, oh, Jim Armstrong doesn't know what he's talking right. about. I think it's going to be about content. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, that was, um, that was kind so of one. He, yeah, but he. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say he did take that job. It was very, it activated his brain, that challenge, that whole, the, the notion of turning something around that's in mm. free fall. It activates the ADHD brain because they're very drawn to things that are, you know, almost like they're not risk averse. 
Yeah. So they need high stimulation environments and there's no more high stimulation environment than a company that's in free fall. Yeah. So he knew what yeah. he wanted to do and he's a great leader. And that's another sort of attribute of people with ADHD oftentimes. So that's, that, you know, that, that choice was very indicative of someone with ADHD. So one thing I noticed about your movies, there's a lot of successful people that have ADHD and, and come on and talk about it. Um, but they're older, so they didn't have the drugs. So what was it that kind of got a lot of these people through well, that and became successful? A co- I mean, I just want to mention a couple of them, if I could, real quick, Nancy. You know, in the film, The Disruptors, you've got rapper Will I Am, uh, Jillian Michaels, the fitness guru, Howie Mandel, Terry Bradshaw, Steve Madden, and David Nealman, the CEO of JetBlue. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, speak about That's a good question because... It wasn't even known when these guys were coming up, right? Right. Well, they were undiagnosed, which most of the people in my generation, our generation, you know, grew up undiagnosed, unless it was so severe that they landed in a psychiatrist's office and then they may have been diagnosed. But pretty much my generation just kind of white-knuckled it. And if, and all the people in the film had this, if you had parents who stood by you, who never gave up on you, who believed in you, and also sort of the requisite education to follow the path that you wanted to follow, those people really had an incredible trajectory. But you couldn't tell by looking at them in middle school or high school, that's for sure. They were struggling, or even college. Is that like the X factor, the loving, supportive parents? Is that something that helped get a lot of these people through versus now where maybe that's not as common? Could that be why there's yeah, more ADHD absolutely. around? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is that whether why there's more ADHD? Well, I think that definitely. Oh, I mean, that's more diagnosed. I'm sorry. Yes, I, I misspoke. Why it's more diagnosed? No, it's more diagnosed now, just because we are we are catching segments of the population that we are were underdiagnosed previously. So okay. at least for the last ten years, we've been diagnosing boys pretty much at the same rate, around 80%. So we've been doing a pretty good job at catching boys, and, and mostly because boys present more overtly than girls. You know, they, right. they have, they're more more likely to have extreme hyperactivity. They're more likely to have aggression. They're more likely to just behave, you know, to have behavioral issues, and they're more difficult to deal with. And, you know, I guess that's the difference between boys and girls. Girls also have similar symptoms, but... Um, you know, they don't have aggression as much of the time. They may have lower hyperactivity and, and they have more just the emotional dysregulation. That's kind of what stands out with girls. They, you know, they're very teary. They have a lot of moods that are difficult to deal with. Um, so that's kind of the difference between um, boys and girls. And so now because we are becoming more attuned to that, we have started to diagnose girls more and women, adults in general, where we thought, um, that, you know, kind of disappeared after childhood. But no, it, it continues about 75% of the time into adulthood. So the reason the numbers have gone up is because we are now identifying segments of the population that were previously undiagnosed. Gotcha. What is the rate uh, between men and women, boys and girls? Is it equally spread out among the population? Or is some of that just diagnosis-based that we're missing more women? What do you think? Yeah, we, we, well, we're getting better at it, but yes, that's the reason why, um, in adults, it's pretty much even. If you look at, um, 
diagnosis in adults is pretty evenly spread between men and women, where we still see the differences are between uh, boys and girls. And that is still because girls present a little bit differently and then they get sure. misdiagnosed. But by the time we catch it in girls, they've already become extremely anxious or depressed. So we start treating them for those things mm. when they, when the underlying cause is not anxiety and depression. But if you were una unable to keep up in class, your friendships were in disarray, you were extremely disorganized and you were missing instructions, you would become extremely anxious and maybe depressed. So if we learn, if we learn how to sort of find these, find the girls a little bit better than we have, which we're starting to, then I think, you know, what you'll see is that it's pretty evenly spread between boys and girls. Gotcha. There was one girl in your film uh, and it really struck me. Uh, they said it was a psychiatrist, I believe, who said, like, you need to get in and talk with this girl because it could be a wasted brain. That was a crazy statement was that to me. The, the girl the who girl. wrote poetry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like beautiful poetry. If you go undiagnosed, I mean, can it be yes. like a wasted, a wasted brain? Well, yes, in the sense that if you are dismissed as difficult, you're not paying attention, maybe because you don't care, you know, all, all of these this misinterpretation of the symptoms as mm. being lazy or not caring or not behaving or deliberately disorganized or, or, or not following directions, people start stop paying attention to you. They stop valuing you. I mean, that's what happens in school systems is they stop valuing those children and maybe they get put yeah, into a different classroom for behavioral problems. And from there, maybe they get so um, demoralized that then they start acting out and then end up in the juvenile detention system and you know end up in this cycle from the there. prison system yeah. like hogan yeah i mean it's like you can see exactly poor hogan yeah. and by the way hogan's gonna be fine he is a fantastic kid oh, it was just so, really unfortunate oh man i was just teared up in that but let me explain yeah. a little bit because i do want to get more into the film but the film is called the disruptors and our guest is nancy armstrong just an absolutely wonderful film and one of the characters in the film is a kid named hogan and maybe you can just explain the incident uh to our audience nancy about how he ended up in juvenile it just broke my heart yeah so hogan has adhd and the teachers and the school understand that he has ADHD and they, he, the parents are treating him for ADHD. So they're doing everything in their power to help him with that. But one, one incident happens where he gets shoved in a hallway and he shoves back and then the kid punches him. Yep. And so now he is embarrassed. So he tries to run to the bathroom before class to compose himself. And the teacher sees him and decides he's not going to the bathroom right now. He's going directly to class. And he kind of, so she holds her arm out and he kind of runs past her He's right. in middle school and she presses charges on him for assault mm. because he hit her arm on the way into the bathroom. Um, it's pretty terrible. So then he ended up in a special school and he had to go for a specific amount of time where you sit even more torturous for a person with ADHD, sit still, don't move. You know, um, you know, kind of a, a torturous school that is kind of a detention school. 
and you know, so he had to do that for a period of weeks, which is really terrible. Which brings me to this point. I don't want to go too deep into it, but you know, the current mo- mo- quote unquote modern American education system, we borrowed from the Germans, you know, and the, the people like Horace Mann, it brought about this rote system with the bells. It's so Pavlovian, you know, with the bell telling you to go to the next class and everything is rigid and structured. Nancy, are we making any inroads in the education system to where they're more flexible? And yeah, I get the teacher understood that he had HDAD, but the the whole system is screwed up, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's kind of the problem is that we have a real sort of industrial assembly line approach to education, rote learning, which is just really so hard. I think it's hard for all kids, but especially deadening for kids with ADHD. And I think what, what some schools are moving to is more of a, um, a, a more engaging approach to education, a more hands-on a sort of research-based approach to education. And some schools are doing that. But I'd say that's probably um, the exception to the rule, and we're not really there yet. And I think the first step is really to educate teachers. Yeah. I don't think teachers receive um, the proper education on dealing with kids with ADHD. And so I think that we have to start there. And I hope this film is a first step toward opening the door to education. It's, it's not the end of the road for education. It's sort of the first step, I feel like. So, But I hope schools, that's 10% of the population. So I really hope schools and, and communities will take it seriously so that we can better understand these kids in school and that this is not willful behavior. It's neurological. Yeah, that's so important. And I think the whole that I mean, the reason we wanted to have you on the show is yes, we have personal interest in it. But, you know, we want to do our little part to educate the public. It's important that everybody understands this. And you guys, you have to see the film. Once again, it's called The Disruptors by Nancy Armstrong. Uh, I rented it yesterday on Prime. I got it for three bucks. It's worth a hundred. <laughs> and even if I didn't have people in the family that had ADHD, and if I didn't have it myself, I just, you know, the film is so important because one of the statistics that just killed me was 25% of the prison population have been diagnosed with ADHD. So what, I mean, it just tells you we're throwing these people away. It just, I mean, it breaks my heart. Tell me, Nancy, the the film, let's talk about the film specifically. I mean, I know you've had this personal experience. When and how did you hatch the idea? And I just want to say, I think films are much more powerful in this day and age than a book. But Mm -hmm. when did you hatch the idea to make a film about this? And how did that come about financing and as little or as much as you want to tell us? Okay. So I think I had the idea for the film in my head for a long time, but it particularly sort of grew in intensity as the struggle with my son grew. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think really I wanted a film, particularly when he was in middle school, for the teachers who just dismissed him out of hand, who just thought he was, you know, a pain in the neck and, you know, wouldn't amount to anything and, you know, just had zero context or clue about ADHD, even though I tried imploring them, you know, not to give up on him. Uh, I just wished I had a film that they could watch because I knew they didn't know anything about ADHD and, you know, it's not like they're going to read a 500 page book. Right. This great thing about the medium of film where it's 90 minutes and you can get a hell of a lot of education in a 90 minute period. And you can, you can ask someone to, to watch that and you can do community 
screenings and you can make it continuing education for teachers. So I wanted to uh, build that tool and, and, and particularly for parents so that they would have something to use when their child is in middle school and, you know, the fit is hitting the shan and they don't <laughs> know what to do and they're despairing. Yeah. So, which is where I was. And then, so I was, I was working, um, I was at a women's leadership and media platform that I co-founded right. and I stepped down from that to make the film because I just, I knew no one was going to make it. And I, and I thought it just has to be done. And I, at that point I had been, you know, friendly with Ned Hallowell and worked with Ned Hallowell with my family for years. And, you know, he's sort of the pioneer of the strength-based approach, which, you know, you can read a book about it, but again, the medium of film sort of democratizes that content. And that's what I really wanted to do was take the top experts in the field, follow a diverse slate of families, and then ha have some small army of public personalities that have been very successful, but that have the exact same struggle from childhood, talk about their ADHD. And I thought that could be very convincing. And, you know, shout out to Atlas Films. I, I knew who I wanted to work with on the films. Stephanie Suktig and Kristen Lazor, who have done an incredible job making uh, documentary films that take a specific issue and mm -hmm. reframe it. So you really come away going, wow, I, that's not what I thought about that topic. And I really yeah. wanted to reframe ADHD. So that was, they were the perfect partners for that. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier, you kind of use the film as like a tool. Do you work with like community organizations or anything like that and, and kind of to broadcast this message? We are beginning that process now. You know, I'm working with a company that will get the film into communities, will get it into schools. Um, and, you know, in some cases where in low-income areas, they'll get it for free. So we are, you know, kind of beginning that process to really fan out and make sure the film gets everywhere that it needs to be in order to help the largest number of people. Definitely. Yeah, the the power, and I think you just, you made the same point I did. I don't want to beat it too much, but I just think a film is so much more powerful, particularly in our distracted society where everybody's got an iPhone in their hand on Twitter. You know, people will take, and the film is absolutely engrossing. Whether you care about the topic or not, you're going to love the film. Was oh, it you. difficult to get the Terry Bradshaws and the Howard, Howie Mendels to talk about such a personal subject. A lot of advocacy for it, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was a little surprised, too, at the people that said yes. I mean, some of the people we knew, so we, we sort of, the strategy was, we'll get this person, we'll get this person, and then the rest will come. Sure. So as soon as we got, you know, Scott Kelly, who's the Hall of Fame astronaut, right. as soon as we had Will I Am. Then the list started to come together pretty nicely. Yeah. Uh, but still, it's people talking on camera about a neurological condition, which has never really happened in any documentary with this many people, uh, being this sort of really honest about it. And I just think that's so liberating. You know, it's so mm -hmm. liberating for kids that these are your role models, not bad. Yeah. Um, and everyone needs role models. So that was one thing I thought was important to show who the the ADHD superstars are, these are your role models. This is what you can aspire to. You're going to have to work hard on managing the challenges, mm -hmm. but you have inherent strength that you can leverage and activate. And that's the path that you have to pursue in your life. And I've seen it, you know, in my own children, particularly with my son who, you know, really struggled in school. And it's, you know, academia is just a hard environment for yeah, him. But yes, wow, does he excel in the workplace? He, he, you know, works with my husband and he's already created two products and oh, he's just awesome. flowing with creativity. 
He's obsessed with work. And, you know, that's where he's going to shine. It's just super creative, tons of energy, tireless, obsessed. It's that hyper-focused thing. When he is doing something he cares about and is passionate about, he works way longer than, you know, the average person. So I I can already see where the strengths of his ADHD brain will serve him very well. Yeah, I noticed that, too. A lot of people consider their ADHD brain like an asset, and I found that to be a, a pretty con- concurrent theme through the whole thing. Well, I gave my son, yeah. I told my ex-wife, look, he's going to flunk out of college in one year. I <laughs> literally, And that's about when we got diagnosed and he got treatment. He is one of the most super successful commer- commercial real estate guys in St. Louis right now. I'm just so, I get emotional talking about it. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, again, you, your son has had great parents. And that's half the battle. And it's really hard. You know, one thing that that we saw also in the film is the parental guilt. It's so yeah, easy definitely. to wow. up when you're parenting a child with ADHD. You feel terrible because we're, I don't have superhuman patience. Right. Um, <laughs> I have a little bit of low frustration tolerance myself. So, you know, you it's easy to explode when things are just outrageous. You know, yep. things are outrageous. And your house is in complete chaos. And so it's easy to lose it. But I think, you know, the longer time goes on, and certainly after making the film, I have an even deeper perspective. And and it's really been a journey for me just to be able to stay calm when things are, you know, out of control. So that, and, and someone has to stay calm. And that's, so that's really, you know, the, the job for parents. And it's not easy. It's really, no. really challenging, but it's very rewarding when you see yeah, them. These fly. parents were like super parents, you know, leaving the notes, putting the pills in the bags. <laughs> yeah, All this I stuff know, is right? like, whoa. Because, you know, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she's pretty responsible, super smart, so I don't have to worry about this. And I was like, man, that's really something that they, they had to go either way and make a big deal to, to, to help these children through, just through their day. Yeah. Yeah. The parents work so hard. It's Herculean parenting. It I mean, it's really intense. And if you have, you know, sort of neurotypical kids, you have no idea what it's like. Um so for me, I had three, and my daughters, we totally missed their diagnosis because very typically they, you know, didn't present the same way that my son was presenting, and they sort of made it up until middle school, and then what happens is you go from one class to six classes, six teachers, and the, the demand goes up, the need to be organized goes up, and, uh, you know, they, they just became super filled with anxiety and I just said, what is going on? And then I said, oh, no. So I went to have them diagnosed, and of course, both of them were diagnosed. What what advice would you give to parents of girls, like, to, to, like, key marks to look for? Yeah, I wanted to ask in general because I think it's well. I think boys and girls are different, and if girls are so overlooked, and I have a daughter, so I'd be curious to know, like, why don't you? What what, should I look for in girls if we just? Why don't you give us actually signs to look for in both sexes? That would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, well, what you're looking the superficial symptoms that you look for is distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. Anything around self-regulation, and you can say, well, we're we're all a little bit of those things some mm-hmm. of the time. Well, this is the degree to which it in- causes impairment across multiple settings. So the you are causing impairment. Your distractibility, hyperactivity, and impulsivity is causing impairment in your home with your relationships with with your siblings, with your parents, on sports teams, at school, in the classroom, on the playground. It's 
it's across the board. It's not like you behave one way in one setting and another way in another setting. It's affecting you across every setting that you come in contact with. So it's the degree to which it really upends your life and, and really causes problems, you know, just for everyday life. And then sure. girls differences. And then girls, again, girls are a little bit less hyperactive. They are what we see with girls is hypersensitivity, particularly to any kind of rejection, ah. um, emotional dysregulation, moody, crying a lot, outbursts. Um, that's very common. But also, this, you know, they all have the, the disorganization, the executive functioning skills, the ability to um, to have foresight and hindsight. Kids with ADHD don't have the ability to look back at yesterday and say, I don't want to do that. That happened yesterday. That was very unpleasant. So I won't do that today. They don't have the ability to have like really goal directed behavior. So they, they, you know, there's, it's again, it's the way their executive functioning system is linking up with the reward system and it's their, their, their system functions differently and is wired differently. So that's why they have those struggles. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you think about, uh, like TikTok and that stuff. Do you think we're going to have a rise in any of this or is the way your brain's set up going to handle that the way it needs to? What do you mean specifically? Like TikTok, it's your 15 second things. You're going to the next thing. You're going to the next thing. You're going mm, to the next thing. I got you. Your attention is, I, I've already seen well, it I myself. Kinda led, I was going to ask about video games too and your thought on yeah. that because, oh, I don't know. I have issues with video games. Mm. Yeah, well, there's this misnomer and you you know, the, the problem is there's so much misinformation and sure. people, the media deals in headlines to get clicks. So yeah. there are articles out there that say, oh, video games are causing ADHD or social media is causing ADHD. And the truth is, no, it's not. It's neurological. So a social media platform cannot cause a neurological difference. Right. Um, I mean, that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but right. yeah, but, but people with this neurological difference may be more drawn to video games sure. and social media because it's that short attention span and because it's immediate gratification. So that's why, they, and, and they're more prone to obsessive behavior. So, you know, we couldn't peel my son away from those video games when yep. he was at that age, sort of yep. 12, 13, 14. And they're not great with transitions either. So they don't like to be pulled away from the thing that's making uh. their brain feel good to something that makes their brain not feel good. Like, getting in the car and going to the doctor or whatever it is. Right. You know, so they, they are more drawn to disappearing into that um, virtual world yeah. where, where there's immediate gratification. It's a fantasy world, but it feels good to their brain and they're, and you know, they're there. It lights up their brain essentially. God, I can so, so it's not relate. that it's causing it, but it's just, it, yeah, it adds their, their, to it. their brain is more drawn to that. Which yeah. leads me to addiction. And as someone who's been in recovery for decades and, and, and slipped, but I know how, you know, every addict alcoholic I've ever met said, I also have depression. I mean, I think these things, they're just, we don't understand the brain, but there is a tie between ADHD and addiction. Is, is there not? Oh Yeah. Well, yeah, because particularly if you are undiagnosed and untreated. Yeah. So what you what you're now trying to do by the time you get to adulthood or even you know your late teen years is just shut it off. Right. You know your brain. You've been you've been dealing with that hyper stimulation for so many years without any kind of treatment, whether it's therapy or coaching or 
um, executive functioning help or medication. And so those, you know, those substances are a way to self-medicate, particularly alcohol and, um, you know, anything that any kind of stimulant, you know, yeah. those are self-medicating. Okay. Then now this is one, well, <laughs> In watching, oh, and I just want to say yeah. this. I just want yeah. to say one more other thing on that. Sure. There are 22 studies, 22 longitudinal studies that show that um, kids who take stimulant medication don't become drug users. Addicts. And hmm. in a way, don't become addicts. And in a way, by taking the medication, you are taking the pressure off of the need to self-medicate in some other perhaps much more destructive way. So yeah. by not treating ADHD, by not seeing if medication is a possible solution, and it's not the solution for everyone, and it's a very personal decision, but it can be very helpful uh, in some people, and in, in 80% of people, I believe, um, it, it kind of stems that, that possibility of go, searching for other substances to calm your brain down. Well, as somebody who has abused alcohol and prescription opiates, I can tell you that, mm -hmm. hey, there was never a pill I didn't like when I was using. But when I was on uh, stimulants, pretty powerful stimulants, actually, for ADHD, I never abused them. I didn't, it never even crossed my mind, which in heights, I've never even given it a second thought till you just said that. It's pretty wild because normally I would abuse that, you know, but you're right. I didn't even right. have the desire. Strange. Well, yeah, because it's, again, when we think we talked about this at the beginning is that if you're a person with ADHD and you take stimulant medication, it calms you down. Right. It doesn't give you that, that, an addictive high type of feeling. Now, it's much more likely that someone who doesn't have ADHD could get addicted to a stimulant medication if they were taking one when, where they shouldn't. But a person with ADHD takes it because it's going to it's going to help them, not because they it feels great. You know, we our kids have definitely struggled with it doesn't feel great, and we've had to switch around and try different medications. And you know, it's it's a blessing when you can find one that works with targeted symptom relief and no side effects. Um, but it's not something they're you know in love with doing. They just don't want to fall behind, you know, say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, they're, they're taking it basically to normalize uh, their behavior in, in certain settings, in either a, a work setting or a school setting. One of the things that uh, we are pretty interested in on clarification, and some of it's personal, I've really been working hard to get healthy again. I, I got healthy 10 years ago, lost all the weight, and then met met someone and kind of got the old fat happy thing and started drinking some alcohol again and that kind of stuff. But anyway, we did an episode on the, the what do we call it, Russell, the, the big lie about sugar mm -hmm. and Ansel Keys and all those studies that said, you know, fat is bad. But I noticed in the film that several of these kids were eating waffles and pancakes, and I'm not slamming on them, but have you or any of the experts in the film made any connections with diet and specifically sugar in relation? I'm, I'm sure it can't be a helpful thing if you're uh, hyperactive. Yeah, I mean, again, it, there's no ADHD diet. I mean, there's, you can say sort of writ large, if you eat a healthy diet that's low in sugar, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, and low in fried foods and junk food, right. you will be better off generally. That's true for everyone. That's maybe especially true for kids with ADHD because they are also hyperactive. 
but it's not like those things are causing the ADHD. Again, food doesn't cause a neurological difference. It can exaggerate it probably. If you're hopped up on sugar, uh, it's (laughs) probably going to be more difficult to focus. So, but I can, I empathize with those parents because you just want your kids to eat. If if they have to take, particularly if they're taking medication in the morning, sit down and eat something. something in their stomach. Pick your battles. And so, you know, I, you know, you see the, like the sugary cereal go into the bowl of things. You go, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but I, I, as a parent, I went, well, you know, they just have to get something in their body. Right. And my son and I would fight over, we fought over breakfast every day. Really? Every day. Yeah. It was so, I would literally, my alarm would go up at 6 a.m. and I would just, you know, oh. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> um, you know, just, he would make me peel the banana. I mean, he wouldn't peel the banana. He, you know, anyway, but I, I was very determined that he was going to eat something uh, decent for breakfast because then he had to take the medication and he can't take it on an empty stomach. Right. So, uh, you know, I would fight that battle every single day and win, but at what cost? I mean, it was a lot of drama. I loved Scott Kelly, by the way, Scott Kelly, very famous astronaut. I mm-hmm. loved his message to bear bear. Just, Set it up as, as a, a young kid, single mom, very hyperactive, kicked out of the school. And she really struggled, the mom, to try different kinds of medications in the film. But, it, mm-hmm. you know, he said something about an astronaut. Talk a little bit about Scott Me- uh, Kelly's message to Bear. That was so cool. Oh, that was so wonderful. Well, actually, it's funny. When we were assembling the, the list of people, um, that, you know, the, the well-known personalities. I yeah. knew Scott Kelly was, was on our list. He was somewhere on our list. And then as soon as I found out that Bear wanted to be an astronaut, I oh. very aggressively oh. went after Scott Kelly. And, of course, he was so great. And he's been pretty open about it. And, you know, he wants what really all of the public personalities in the film want, which is to destigmatize ADHD, to dispel the myths of ADHD and to have people understand better because he had such a struggle, a terrible struggle, struggle where his own grandmother said he would never learn to read and basically dismissed it. Your own grandmother dismisses you out of hand. I mean, what, what, what is waiting for you in the world if your own grandmother is, uh, you know, not behind you. But, um, so then, so then he gave the message to Bear at the end of the film. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but. No, yeah, save it. You got to watch the film, but I'm just telling you. really touching yeah yeah and i want to and that's what basically what i wanted to do with those um public personalities is draw a line between bear and scott kelly to draw a line between hogan and david nealman right david nealman had the same exact struggle as hogan or the you know paul or paula all those people they had tremendous struggle steve madden you know they had tremendous struggle growing up uh it was just a different time where you know i guess i don't know i think kids we didn't have kids on such a tight clamp, you know, yeah. in the, maybe in the sixties and seventies, we mm-hmm. kids were running around outside. We didn't have any, you know, we just had three channels on the TV. I just think yep. the kids were getting more exercise and probably their, their symptoms might've been less because really when you exercise and you run around all day, that's stimulating dopamine in your brain. So, True. and the one thing that happens that's so terrible is when kids misbehave in class, they get recessed attention which is the worst thing you can give to a child with ADHD is cut off their ability to move around the one time a day where they're allowed to kind of run it off or lunch detention. So I used to beg teachers 
you know, if he does something you don't like, please don't give him recess detention or lunch detention. You can make him scrub toilets after school. That would yeah. be better. Just not isolate him or make him sit still for any longer than he's already being asked to sit still for. My dad being a psychiatrist, maybe he knew something back in the 60s. He used to make me go run a mile when yeah. I got in trouble. Because <laughs> yeah. he was a, one of the first exactly. Yeah. So, I don't and know. That's, you know, that's therapy for exercise is really important because of ADHD. I think that's why if you're an athlete and you have ADHD, you have, you know, a little bit of an easier time because you have sort of that, you know, a lot of exercise sort of built into your schedule. Right. So um, that, that really helps. That, that turns the brain on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me wonder about, I mean, Terry Bradshaw was the most famous athlete, but it makes me wonder if guys like Steph Curry, I'm a big basketball fan, I love the Warriors, but if guys mm-hmm. like Steph Curry don't have a bit of ADHD, I mean, because their routines well, you saw are the, so hyper-focused. And on you them. saw the competitive edge some of these kids had. They're yes. super competitive. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, that's a little edge over someone who doesn't have it, but has the, the wherewithal to work through it. Yeah. Well, the film is just The Disruptors by Nancy Armstrong. And it's just, it's an incredible film. You've you've got to watch it. You've got to get your friends and your family to watch it. And Nancy, how can people, before we wrap this up, if you were a a mom struggling with a child and you've identified some of the things we've talked about, what's the next step? What do you do? Do you go to the school counselor? I mean, some people can't just afford to make an appointment with a psychiatrist. Well, I think the first thing you want to do is go to your pediatrician and have a discussion with them. And pediatricians are getting a little bit better with um, sort of doing surveys of, you know, children when they do their annual physicals. What we, there's a dearth of experts on ADHD in the country. That's just true. And all over the world. And so we need pediatricians and primary care physicians to be sort of an accredited first line of defense, because oftentimes that's the only person someone will have is their pediatrician. Uh, like I said, there's a, there is a real shortage of people who specialize in ADHD. In, mm. in Australia, you have to wait eight months to see someone um, who's, who's a clinician in, uh, with ADHD wow. expertise. So is there a particular a, reason a for problem. that? Is it their healthcare system, I, maybe? You know, I am, uh, that's interesting. That uh, well, there, that there are, I think we have a doctor shortage in general. Yeah. But, you know, oh, finding okay. doctors with that, with got that, you, got with you. that, okay specialization in ADHD is very difficult. And oftentimes, you know, if you're just dealing with your primary care physician or your pediatrician, they may have a little bit of training on that, but it's not enough. And we saw that in the film when, you know, Bear was struggling with medication, you know, prescribed by his primary care. And it wasn't until she went to, got in with a specialist, which took a long time, that she finally was able to get someone who understood the medication and could, you know, tweak it or find the right one that would work for bear. So that's, that's a big issue. So I think in the absence of enough experts on ADHD, we need doctors and pediatricians to really have much more education so that they can be that first line of defense. Yeah. Yeah, And medication we might add is not the only option for treatment. You mentioned therapy and exercise. There's a whole lot of other stuff you can do too, right? Oh yeah, there's a whole, it's one tool in the toolbox of things and, and medication alone is never the right idea. You know, you have to sort of use all of these things together, particularly because those are the skills you're, you are building for a lifetime. So learning to become organized, 
learning how to get up in the morning, getting up in the morning is really difficult for kids with ADHD. So developing those strategies for everyday life, that's really important. So Nancy, the film is The Disruptors. I know it's available on Prime. Where else can people find the film? Do you have a website and how can they get in touch with you? Maybe give us your social media coordinates if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's, um, it's well, it's disruptorsfilm.com. It's the film website. Uh, it is available on Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Amazon, and Voodoo. Everywhere, basically. And our social media is ADHD Disruptors. That's awesome. Well, you've been just a delight to talk to. You're a wonderful mom. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm really happy for Jack. I mean, it's it's... As a parent who's gone through this, I know what a struggle it is. And to see both of our kids succeeding is so rewarding. And I just hope we reach yeah. some other people out there that, you know, that are struggling through this, that we can help them. Thanks so much for being our guest today, Nancy. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Nancy.